Welcome to Chillin' with Ice with me, Lori Fetrick, or most of you know me as Ice from the American Gladiators. Thank you for joining me on this podcast where we're going to dive in and go behind the scenes on the number one hit iconic show of the 90s. It's time to get up close and personal on what drove us to be gladiators, what challenges we faced, and how we overcame to reach all of our goals. I know in this first season, inquiring minds want to know, was there drama, fights, hookups? Are we all still friends? What did we do in our personal lives and how are we staying in such good shape years later? Well, stay right here and let's get into Chillin' with Ice. Before we dive into our incredible episode today, I wanna let you know that this is a self-funded podcast and I would love your support. For the cost of a cup of coffee a month, you can donate to my Patreon page and that would make all the difference in the world. For the small donation, you will get back so much in rewards, like you can watch all of my podcasts on video. I will have exclusive content like behind the scenes footage, a private Facebook group where you can interact with me directly and other VIP fans, a monthly Q&A, direct shout outs and follows from me to you on your social media and so much more. Find me on Patreon at Chillin' With Ice or click the link in the show notes now. Okay, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chillin' With Ice. And I know you've been watching and listening to the podcast. And, you know, I have interviewed some amazing gladiators. And today is absolutely no different. But there is a little difference here. And this difference is that this woman is from the two... 2008 reboot of the American Gladiators from NBC, and I'm super excited to welcome Tangie Johnson Bridgman, as better known as Stealth. How are you doing today? Laurie, it is so good to see you. I'm already thinking about all the experiences and memories we have from like 10, 15 years ago. My goodness. Right? It seems so like long ago. So to my viewers, my listeners and everything else, I mean, if they're all Gladiator fans, so of course they watched your reboot, and I know they know exactly who you are, but let me catch them up a little bit, and let's get a little backstory on you, because I was reading about you. You're an Army brat, your dad was in the Army, and you decided to go into the Air Force, but give me a little backstory about you. So, yes, I was raised an Army brat, which means I was born in Germany, and then we, my, we went to Korea. My mother's Korean, actually. My dad met my mom when he was enlisted in the Army, stationed over there. So I did a lot of overseas traveling before we even got to the States. And so we ended up in Louisiana, and then I went to high school in South Carolina. And so one of the things I remember from my childhood is that we picked up and moved every two to three years. And so that was a part of my childhood. So I think that was a big part of teaching me how to just be able to immerse myself into different environments, how to make new friends and how to adapt. So that was a huge skill. But growing up an army brat. So number one, growing up with as a, a child of an army brat, plus my mom being Korean and, you know, Asians tend to have a reputation for being very critical. I had a very strict upbringing. And so I like to joke around and say that my upbringing was actually more challenging for me than actually my time in the military, because for me, that was like a piece of cake compared to how my parents raised me. I bet. I mean, it's just like my, my girlfriend's ex was military and I see how he raises his son 
And I'm like, I mean, he's, instead of doing the old, you're on, what is it? You're on restriction. It's like, no, give me 20 push-ups, <laughs> you know, things <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is like so strict. But yes, I've heard that. And that's, I mean, you, you're right. It's like adapting. You got to learn to adapt so quickly because you're moving so much. Was that, was that fun for you? I mean, or was it kind of like, oh, we're moving again? I, I actually liked it. You know, I didn't miss it until later on when I, in my twenties and thirties, when I met people like my husband, for example, who was born and raised in a small town here in Washington, practically his whole family lives on the same street. I mean, I mean, we're talking out in the country though, right? So we're talking, they each have three to five acres each, but they literally live down the road from each other. And that's how he was raised. And so I don't have that experience where I can look back and find one town or city and say that that was my home, you know? And so, so I miss that. Like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, that would have been kind of neat, but I just have to accept that I have the better of the other world. And that is being a world traveler and being able to adapt. So I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. See, that's awesome. And everybody wants something they don't have, you know what I mean? It always <laughs> seems that way. So from your childhood, tell me a little bit how you, I mean, we talked a little bit, we not talked, but we emailed a little bit when you said enlisted versus the commission of an officer. Tell me, the, right. tell me how right. that worked because you decided to go into the air force right. instead of the army. Now, why the air force instead of the army? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> Believe it or not. I mean, I'm sure my dad was joking, but my dad actually was the one. So you know, all my military peeps out there, you know, they're going to totally laugh and appreciate this, but there's like a reputation that comes with every branch of the service. You know, when you think of the Navy SEALs and the Marines, they're the toughest, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then you've got your army grunts because the, the, the mission for the army really was ground support. And so they're the ones like in Vietnam that were on the ground. And then you think of the Air Force and a lot of, you know, the Air Force, of course, supports aviation and all of our air to air combat and support. And and so out of all of those branches of service, you know, the Air Force tends to have, we call it chair force, but that we have the nicest facilities right. and, you know, we're probably, they would say we're the smartest being more aeronautical, but maybe not the most hardcore, right? And I have and so heard that. You have heard that, right? Yeah. So my dad, you know, so with that being said, like the army bases weren't necessarily known for having the best facilities. So I remember, you know, with my dad having, you know, gone through that, when we were getting ready to decide what we were going to do, he, I remember him joking around and say, y'all should go Air Force. You know, <laughs> you want to live good, y'all, but y'all should go Air Force. Now, not just that, but, you know, when I was in high school, my high school had a junior ROTC program that stands for, you know, reserved officer training course. So it's a it's a student cadet program that helps prepare students that might want to go to college and, and basically go into the military. So I was in the Air Force Junior ROTC. Right. So that was one level of exposure that I got. You know, I learned, you know, basically everything that, you know, had to do with the Air Force. Then I had my dad telling me I should go Air Force. And then my oldest brother gets admitted to the Air Force Academy. And so it just, the stars were starting to align where I felt very pulled towards going into the Air Force. And so one thing I want to describe for those that don't 
don't know, when you think of people get confused on what is the enlisted force, what is the officer force. So when you think of a corporation, you're going to have your blue collar workers and that those tend to be the people that are the technicians and they're getting the job done. And then you have your white collar employees and those tend to be the people that are in management, you know, and your C-level executives. So in the military, your enlisted force, they're going to be the airmen and the sergeants and the chiefs, right? They're the ones that get things done. But then the officers, you know, we're going to be ranked second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, major, colonel, general, right? So when you watch the movies and you see, you know, people going off to the war and they're always saying, you know, the LT's in charge or you got to report to the captain. Those are the officers. So they're the ones that are in charge. They're the ones that are the leaders. They're the managers, but the enlisted force are the ones that get things done. And so my dad was enlisted in the army. And the other big difference is to, to become an officer, you have to have a four-year degree to enlist in the, you know, military, like you can go right into the military after high school and you don't have to have a college. Mm -hmm. You can just go right into the military. That's called enlisting. But if you go to college and then you want to be an officer, that's called getting a commission as an officer into the military. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. With that being said, did you still have to go through boot camp? Yes. How was that for you? (laughs) So that was actually, again, really fun. I mean, (laughs) it it was hard. So I went to the Air Force Academy and in the summer before, and, and people get confused. So the Air Force Academy, West Point, the Naval Academy, those are four-year colleges, but they're military colleges. And so the summer before we start our freshman academic year, we go through basic training mm. cadet style. Right. And so it, it's pretty brutal. I mean, it's very psychological, mentally demanding. It's physically demanding. You know, you're getting yelled at all the time. They're putting stress and pressure on you. I remember one of the things we had to do And it's funny how the military has a reason for doing everything. I remember one of the things we had to do is we had to tuck our chin in. Like I'd be standing at attention and my chin (laughs) is way back here. And we got really good at it too, because guess what? When you're a fighter pilot, I don't know if you've seen Top Gun, Maverick, but when you're a fighter pilot, those guys are pulling Gs. And that means they're doing this in the airplane. So we laugh about how... Oh my gosh, the Air Force, the military has a reason for everything. And we thought they were just trying to be mean, but they were actually preparing us to be in high pressure situations. Interesting. Yeah. That's so cool. So from the military, where did you go after you were done? So I ended up getting commissioned as a second lieutenant. I did a little bit of recruiting for my first year. I recruited, I was in the minority enrollment office. You know, when I was at the academy, there, you know, minorities were only represented 5% of the entire student body and women were less than, I mean, women, I think were about 18% of the student body. And so I went out to the East coast and I was going to different inner city schools, talking to kids about their opportunities to going to the Academy. So I did that for a year and then I became an aircraft maintenance officer. So this means that I was in charge of the maintenance of airplanes. And so I happened to be stationed. My first duty station was in Spokane, Washington at Fairchild. Child Air Force Base, and we had the KC-135 aerial refuelers. So I actually got into bodybuilding when I was, I was a cheerleader, believe it or not, at the academy. And that's when I got into lifting weights. And my, my coach was a bodybuilder and we just were in awe of her physique. And I remember thinking, 
I want to look like that. Right. And so she had us lifting weights every day after practice for like an hour. I fell in love with bodybuilding and lifting weights. And when I graduated, I did my first bodybuilding competition, which was all, and then I did my first fitness competition. So that's what got me into competing is I started competing while I was active duty in the air force. But the problem is I was a maintenance officer. So I deployed a lot. So long-term I don't know if I would have been able to really be an IFBB pro and have the long career that I had if I hadn't have gotten out. So basically at the five-year point, I was able to get out of the Air Force and I decided because literally that year I won the NPC 2001 Nationals, earned my pro card, and I decided I wanted to pursue being a pro fitness athlete and I wanted to see what life was going to be like. So my whole life changed in 2001. Oh, yeah, just like that. So now were you into bodybuilding or were you into when you were competing? Did you go bodybuilding or did you go physique or bikini or what? So I'm going to age myself. Go so ahead. this is like 25 years ago. <laughs> there was only three divisions. There yeah. was men's bodybuilding back in the day, women's bodybuilding, and then there was fitness. My okay. very first competition, I did bodybuilding because mm-hmm. I didn't even know anything about fitness. And, and it's funny, I love telling people this. So my very first show in Colorado, there was seven women that did the women's bodybuilding and I came in seventh, dead last. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I, you know, and here's what happens a lot of times with competitors. We look good in our gym, right. Yeah. Compared to everybody in our sphere of influence. And so we're like, Hey, I think I have a good body. Everybody's always complimenting me. I'm just going to go ahead and do this show, but I did it. And, and back then we didn't have the resources that we have now. They didn't have a lot of coaches and videos and YouTube and all this stuff. And so I didn't even know that I should have put tan on. I just thought, well, I'm black. I don't, why do I need tan? So then I get on stage and all the white girls are darker than me because I'm the only one not wearing tan, right? So the light is like washing me out. You know, I posed really cute. I had a great little Janet Jackson routine and I was in shape, but I didn't know how lean I needed to be. So I wasn't dialed in and shredded. I mean, to the average person, they thought I was lean, but for competition, I was okay. So I ended up getting last, but I remember stepping away from that experience. Like, you know, I placed last because I have a lot to learn about this sport. And if I want to be more competitive, I'm going to need to do some homework and really understand more about what's required and then show up and get that done. So I always laugh and tell people like, Hey, I've won 11 champions. I've, you know, been competing for a long time. If you get last place in the beginning, you can only go up from there. (laughs) (laughs) that's a great story I love that and especially when you said I'm not going to date myself I mean when I was competing it's like I still to this day which is really weird I'll have nightmares and I call them nightmares because like I'll walk on stage and just exactly what you're talking about I was the only one who never tanned so being a white girl, I was having these nightmares that I, for some reason, forgot to tan when I was walking on stage. And I never dieted. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at myself. I mean, these are nightmares, okay? Oh, these are nightmares. Okay. Oh, yeah, these are nightmares. But, oh, my God. that I'm sorry. That's a funny story. That's an awesome story, though. So tell me this. How did the gladiators find you? Or how did you find the gladiators? Well, so, so I did that bodybuilding competition. And... And then at that competition, I saw a class of girls go out and they started doing all these flips and dancing and stuff. And I was like, what's that? 
And then somebody explains to me, oh, that's the fitness division. And I mm. thought, well, that's what I should be doing. I was a cheerleader. I can do flips. I want to do one-arm push-ups. I'm GI Jane, right? <laughs> so then I started competing in fitness. And I used to compete with Kim Lyons. And you might remember Kim mm -hmm. was on The Biggest Loser for several years. So she was already affiliated with NBC and her and I were friends. And so I'm midway through my IFBB fitness career. And, you know, I travel quite a bit to LA and stuff. And Kim calls me up one day and she says, hey, they're bringing back gladiators. And I think you should try out. And I remember her saying, and they need diversity, hint, hint, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and I said, well, okay, when is it? She said, it's going to be at Gold's Gym. It's in Venice. And I looked at the calendar and I thought, hey, there's a, a, a figure show going on that weekend. And so I'm such an opportunist. So I decide to fly out to California. I compete in figure on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, I go to Gold's Gym and do the audition. And I made it through the first round. That is so cool. <laughs> so speaking of the whole diversity, and let's talk Hollywood for a second, let's, right? So let's I make talk it through, Hollywood. You know, you know all about this. I make it through the first round, and then we go to, I don't know if it was the second round or the third round, but it's when we go meet the producers. Okay. And so I walk in, and that's where there's only maybe about 20 of us, but I remember distinctly that, that it was me and Alicia Marie. And, and a lot of people may remember Alicia Marie is a super, super famous, probably one of the most famous African-American fitness models we've ever had. She's been on the cover like a zillion times. Um, and I remember seeing her like, damn, you know, like she's so famous, yeah. right? I thought she was like so famous compared to me, but we're totally different. I'm five, two stocky and, and built. And she, I don't know how tall she is, but she's tall and slender and very fit. So we have to two totally different looks, but I remember talking to her and we both had this understanding, like we're both not getting picked. Like one of us is going to be the black girl, oh. the, the black female gladiator. And then I look and I'm like, okay, and there's probably going to be one blonde, one redhead, right? We didn't have any Asian girls there, but it, it was just, I remember looking and there was like two to three of every type, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember thinking like, all right, guys, well, we know that we're all not going to make it in, you know, depending on what we're representing, but mm. let's see what happens. Yeah. It was like, they had to be politically correct. You know, right. it, it was just like, yes, and that's Hollywood. Now, what was your first round? I mean, what was your tryout like your first round? What did you have to do? Gosh, so at Gold's Gym, I remember doing shuttle sprints. I remember doing pull-ups. To be honest with you, those are the two biggest things I remember. Oh, and I remember having to be interviewed. So we had to I be think I was there. I was, I think, I think I was, I was in sidelines kind of like watching what everybody was doing at the first round at Gold's Gym in Venice. And I was like, okay. oh, that's really interesting. You know, okay, so that was the first round. And then you went into the second round. Okay, same thing. And then you had to yeah. talk to the producers. Now, yeah. I also read something that you did something that kind of grabbed their attention because you <laughs> called to attention or something like that in your interview. Tell me about, what was that about? <laughs> so I walked into the room and I just remember, I remember wanting to pitch. Actually, I wanted the name Falcon because that's my alma mater for Air Force. So Air Force Academy Falcons. I wanted the name Falcon. So I went in there and I really wanted to promote and elevate the fact that I was ex-military. And actually in basic training, I actually was the female pugil stick oh, champion, cool. which is basically the joust. Yeah, we did joust absolutely. boot camp. 
right? And I was the female champion, you know, in my in my basic training. And so I told them that, but I came into the room and I think I was like, room, tent, hut. You know, I just used my command voice. That is so because awesome. The whole time I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I wonder if they're going to prejudge me because, you know, my insecurity was I'm 5'2". Like back, I don't remember when I looked at you guys' show, when you guys were on, I don't remember anybody being as short as me. And so, you know, we always do these things where we say, well, I don't know if I'm buff enough or I don't know if I'm tall enough or I don't know, you know. So I remember feeling that way and I thought, well, I'm, I'm tiny and mighty, but I'm going to have to show them that I pack a whole lot of everything, power, energy, you know, everything, intensity in this tiny little package. And that was my whole point when I went in there and it obviously worked. Did what, I mean, what was their response when you did that? I can only imagine because, you know, producers can be so uptight. You know what I mean? When you walk in a room, it's like, for those of you that don't know, it's like when you walk into a room of producers, they're all sitting there and it's like, they might as well have their arm crossed like this. And they're just staring at you with absolutely no expression on their face whatsoever. So you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know if they like you. They don't smile. They don't. Right. And it's so intimidating. Yeah. So I can only imagine when you did that, they just probably went, whoa. <laughs> this- whoa. And there was so much pressure. I mean, can you imagine the average person telling them, you're about to walk up into a room with eight producers or five to eight producers are all going to be sitting at this long table and you need to pitch yourself. Well, what do I say? That's up to you. Well, what do I do? That's up to you, but you better bring the energy, bring the personality, figure out a way to make yourself stand out and be unique. I remember thinking like, my gosh, girl, I don't know how you guys did it because our process was so entirely different. You know, I mean, you guys had to go through like a hundred questionnaire psych test, I guess, and all these different things. And if I would have walked into a room of producers, honestly, I don't know if I would have gotten the job. I would have known. How did you guys have to audition? Well, first of all, the first 13. Okay. So the very first 13 episodes, and there was like, I think like three or four gladiators, girls and guys. And they actually went and they chose them. And there was like an audition for Zap. There was an audition for Nitro. And they Mm -hmm. have like a specific character. So if you had some type of an agent, they were like, hey, they're looking for a character who's really fast and agile and the name is Nitro and, you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't like Uh an open call type of audition. So that was the first 13 episodes. Now, when I came in, It was a little different. They had an open call and I competed against like 75 girls and it was like on the back lot of Universal and we did the pull-ups and, you know, we did the the simulated kind of a power ball. And then after all that was done, we had an on-camera interview. And then they went from 75 down to 20, from 20 down to 10, down to five, down to, they chose two of us. So that's what I'm saying. I don't know how I would have been if I had to walk in a room and pitch myself in front of eight producers. (laughs) You know, I'd have just been like, fuck. (laughs) Well, you know what I find interesting about that? It's kind of like acting, right? Like at least with those first original people like Nitro, when they had these, they had the name already and they had an idea of the character that Mm -hmm. they wanted for Mm -hmm. that gladiator. I think what was intimidating and different for us is number one, you know, they were recruiting athletes and most of us, maybe except for Michael Hearn, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us didn't have any acting experience at all. Right. And so I remember one of my struggles was not knowing what my character was because 
I wasn't sure. I didn't feel like being myself was going to be enough. Now, I remember watching Gina Carano and I remember thinking like, okay, she got away with being herself. She didn't act all crazy. She didn't do anything like she was just, I mean, she was so laid back, but was, so fierce. Dude, I was just going to say that. Gina, I remember being backstage and she, I, I had a conversation with her. I didn't know Gina until, I didn't even know who she was, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, me neither. Backstage and you're like, oh my God, that's Gina MMA. I'm like, who's that? You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so all I remember is watching her in interviews going, wow, she just is really not into this. You know, that was my thought. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you say laid back. I say, wow, she wasn't really into her interviews. And then she said, I hate these interviews. You know, I was like, oh, okay, I got it. That makes sense. Exactly. But at the same time, it's funny that they, they wanted you guys to actually kind of be a character because in our original gladiators, this was like, I love this conversation. They didn't want really characters. We were ourselves. And people mm. were like, I was, what you saw on, on gladiators when it was me and competing and, you know, some of the stuff that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, I wish I would have been a little bit better at that, but I wasn't. But they just, it was like a, a free for all, you know, is what yeah. it was. And then I read an interview, I guess you had with someone and you were, they interviewed you after an event and they went cut. And they were like, yeah, don't say that. Why don't you say, some I mean, if they would have said that to us, I mean, we didn't have anything like that. It was like, right. what you saw was real in the moment, you know, spontaneous. And that was it. Yeah. So I remember after they gave me my name and I remember getting the name, it was kind of cool the way I got my name. We, when we were in camp and we were scaling and practicing on the wall, you know, I was a really good climber and I was doing the, the rock climbing and, you know, I was pretty fast and everybody was, I think somebody said like, oh, you're so stealthy. You're so stealthy. You just zip right up there. And then it stuck. So that's what they gave me. And I remember thinking like, oh, I can deal with that. Like that's a cool name. Stealth bomber in the air force. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I remember specifically, I don't remember which producer it was, but they specifically told me, all right, so you don't smile. Like you are a badass. You're the one that's mean. You know, it was funny because I was thinking like, wow, that's so, that's a part of me, like the military part of me when you ask about basic training and boot camp. So I went through it when I was a freshman, but ironically, when I was a junior cadet, I ended up having the highest ranking position as a junior cadet during that summer program. So I was the cadre for the class of 99 and I was very intimidating. I mean, people to this day, if they were in the class of 99, they, they say, oh, Tangi S. Johnson, because we had to memorize each other's names back then. But I was very intimidating, never smiled. I can so say that. <laughs> I remember thinking like, okay, so they want that persona. They right. want the persona that I sold them at the audition. Mm -hmm. But the the IFBB pro, I mean, I'm a fitness competitor. Like I freaking dance and smile and yeah. I cheered. Like that's the other part of my personality. So I remember struggling with like, okay, so I need to shut that down mm -hmm. because they want this serious part of me. And then half the time it was hard because some of the stuff was so funny. I just want to chuckle half the time, but I was like, stay serious, stay serious. Right. right? Now, was there any of the original games that we had that you wanted to do that you guys didn't actually get to do because they changed a lot of the games up, you know? I never got to do assault. Even I mean, that was still in the new show, but I never got to do assault. See, okay. I mean, so, 
So, okay. So let me ask you this was when you walked in the morning, was there a schedule of like, okay, you're going to do this, 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 did they rotate the schedule or was it like, okay, you're good at this game. So you're going to continue this game. Or was it like a rotating schedule? I felt like in the beginning, well, I, I, I distinctly remember this being a cool thing that I learned about Hollywood. So we're in Sony studios and half of the studio was water and the other half was dry. So they would set up for the whole day. If you're doing joust over water, so that's the swimming pool and they'd set up the joust, you know, for logistics, we're filming joust all day long. Mm -hmm. And so that would happen on one side. And then maybe we're doing powerball on the other side all day long. And so what a lot of people didn't realize is the schedule is we're filming episode one and three and seven all in one day. But just that event, this is why hair and makeup had to be exactly the same every day. Because when one episode could have been filmed, was was most likely and for sure filmed three, two to three different days. Because it's all, it's like a movie set, right? Like, so so when you, I mean, I've never been on a movie set, but I can imagine you're going to have this set is set up. You're not going to set it up 15 times. You're going to film everything you need on that set, scratch it, set up a new set. And so that's how the schedule was. And so- Basically, I'd walk in and if I wasn't doing joust at all, but maybe I'm doing Powerball, I might get on in the first episode and then get a 30 minute break and or an hour break or a two hour break. And then I'm going to go back and film episode three, same event, different contestants. And then we just keep going. And then the next day we might be going in and we're doing the wall and we're doing hang tough, right? So that's how they would change it. And I do feel that as we started filming, certain people started to really stand out as being good at certain events. And so I noticed that they started, you know, really keeping those people scared. There were certain events that I felt like they rotated really well, but like, I felt like the joust, I remember it being a lot of venom and a lot of crush and a lot, yep. like a lot of the same yep. people. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not going to lie. You want me to tell you a secret? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I am not a good swimmer. Oh, and I was so afraid of water. Yeah, but how deep was it? It was, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a full size swimming pool. Like it's, it's pretty deep, but the thing is, is when we were auditioning, none of us knew how they were evolving the show. We didn't know that now the events, half the events were going to be over the water. So you should have seen what was going on inside of me. I bet. We walk in and, and they're like, great news we're elevating we're just you know we're taking the show up to the next level all that's half the stuff you saw back in the day half that's going to be over water and I'm like (laughs) I'm like oh my god you know and I remember just like having to tell a couple of my you know teammates like okay I've got a confession I'm completely afraid of doing the joust and hang tough and like I just remember going through this. I mean, I was going to do it, Hmm. but I was like so lucky that they never casted me to do it because I remember thinking like, okay, if I get hit on the jowls and I go down, I'm going to take a deep breath and then I'm just going to relax. And you know how I'm I'm looking at how far away (laughs) the jowl station is from the edge of the pool. So I can feel comfortable knowing that I can doggy paddle and swim to the side. Right. I mean, I don't know if they ended up finding out and maybe they knew. Maybe they they found out maybe that was it now did you feel like maybe there was like a couple favorites that they started to kind of 
gear a little towards more? Like, I absolutely. mean, absolutely. And, and you know what, I will say, you know, part of the challenging part of that, that whole experience, when people ask like, how did you like, you know, doing gladiators? Like the work itself was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So fun. It was like a super cool experience. You know, the challenging part was again, not being sure what character you're supposed to be playing, not having the freedom to just say, Hey, I'm going in, I'm doing this event. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be myself. So whatever sense of humor comes out, whatever comments come out, you know, like, you know, Gina was able to just like, she acted like she was bored, but then that became her persona. She was just, I think she was bored. (laughs) Right. Totally. (laughs) Kind of like, you know, I'm just going to like whip some people's butt on the jowls, knock this girl in. All right. Who's next, you know, but then that became, but then that really stuck with her. And I remember being envious that she got to be herself and, and that worked for her and it became accepted. Right. And I remember thinking like, I don't feel like I can do that. I don't feel like I can do that. Like I'm watching some people have really big personalities, like, like Hollywood, you know, being the wolf and he's howling. And I'm like, So when you're exposed to all that, just like in any other sport, you know, you're comparing yourself, Mm -hmm. wondering, am I big enough? Am I cool enough? Am I interesting enough? Am I entertaining enough? Right? Here's my take. Yeah, that was difficult. I think that if they would have let all of you guys have your own personalities and not tried to make you a character, Mm -hmm. it would have worked so much better. The only reason I say that, okay, I'm glad you agree with that, because it actually came across, the show came across like they overproduced it. You know what I mean? It's like when I first showed up and I saw them, I mean, I thought Hulk Hogan, okay, first of all, Hulk Hogan, do you know how many, 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 many years that we fought people saying, we're not the WWF, we are real, it's not fake, and all of a sudden they bring in Hulk Hogan to be the host, and it's just like... Seriously? But besides that, when I heard him, like, they'd go, cut, try it again, cut, try it again. I was like, oh, my God, getting through the intro was like a two-hour process to where Mike Adamley could have knocked that out in five minutes because it was everything Mm -hmm. was off the cuff, you know, how he was. But I think that if they would have given you guys your own personalities and let you be you to where you could be that little badass but yet smile afterwards – Right. That's cool. And it's not only cool, it's very sexy as well, because it's like you could have gone out and just kick some ass, had that stealth face on you and then just smiled afterwards. You know, it's like that's what makes a character. And so I think that's what worked for Gina. And they just Mm -hmm. didn't allow it with anybody else because that's what made it that way. And they're like, oh, that works. It's like, well, she's being herself. Let everybody right. else be themselves, you know? I, I would describe to people, like for people who don't know what American Gladiators is, I would say, well, I want to say it's a cross between, and I'm talking about my generation, WWE and MMA. You know, as much as I really wish it was more like MMA, see what people love about MMA is it's real yes. and it's raw, yes. right? Yes. I mean, it is just two people coming together, forging their will against each other, and it is a battle. Yes. And they they are themselves. They show up as themselves. They're going to be jerks to each other if they're going to have good sportsmanship. Like they are themselves. Yes. And there's that is entertainment. That's what pe- I think that's what people want to see. So I totally yes. agree that I think that it getting overproduced 
it's kind of like you're watching it and it feels a little fake and you're just like, you know, and especially if people are comparing it to what you guys did, which mm-hmm. was way more real yeah. and raw, it's kind of like, eh, they tried, you know, just mm, not as cool as it was in the original. Yeah. And, and I think that's really the only reason why you guys, what you went, did you go two seasons? I didn't get to do the second season because I tore my ACL in the Ooh. first season. Oh, it was terrible karma for me because the very first episode, the premiere episode in Powerball, I tackled Jesse into the wall, the sidewall, and she tore her ACL. Oh my God. And then like three episodes later, you know, I'm rolling down the pyramid and I tore my ACL too. It just whoop, right there on the, on the mat. Oh my God. That, I'm so sorry to hear that. I actually tore a small meniscus. Thank God. It was just like small mm. enough, small enough to where it could heal during the summer season. Yeah. yeah. And I could come back in. But then again, I did it in the middle of the show. And one of the producers said, if I see you hobbling, we're going to pull you. And when they say pull you, that means you don't get paid for the rest of the season. And right. so I was like, oh, right. shit. Okay. So I went to the doctor that day, shoot me with cortisone because I've got to finish the season out. And they're like, okay, right. you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but no, I think it was, you know, anybody who's going to be a Gladiator fan, they're going to, they, they loved everything about it. You know, they love the events. They loved you guys. It's just too bad that I think maybe it got in the wrong hands. Maybe, I mean, maybe NBC wasn't the production company or the the network to do it because they overproduced it so much that if mm-hmm. they would have just let it be a little more raw and real, yeah. like we were talking about, I think it would have definitely lasted a little bit more. Yeah. But was there any drama backstage with you guys? Because I know I, I talk about the drama that we had. You know, I mean, we always called it the nitro show because it was like everything was about nitro, you know? And so we were like, ah, oh, it's the nitro show. But I mean, you got, you were there a season, but yet you, I'm sure you got to feel a little bit something that was happening. Was there competition, anything going like that? Well, I will say, you know, one thing I'll say is I do feel like our group bonded really, really well together, you know, and I'm not just saying that, like, I felt like a lot of us became really great, great friends. We cared about each other. And I felt like we, we struggled together because Mm -hmm. again, with all of us being new and, and again, except for maybe Mike Mm -hmm. and Gina, especially Gina, Gina was in a class of, I mean, even though none of us knew who she was, we weren't familiar with her fame status May world, it became very obvious how much they wanted her. I mean, we sat there and watched, you know, we had one of our girls that were on there. She was an alt, she became an alternate, but the minute Gina signed her contract, which was like the day of the show or the day before this other girl that we just spent all these weeks in training with was gone. Oh, that's, that's it. Sad. Just gone. That's sad. And, it, and so it, it was sad. So I, I felt like we bonded and went through a lot of that insecurity together because yeah. there was definitely that feeling, almost like a desperate feeling of like, look, we are not the cast of friends. Like we're like almost like nobody. We're like at the bottom of the, we're the talent, sure. But we have not established ourselves, you know, as long-term assets. And I remember having this sense of, you know, we are here in a limited time to prove ourselves. And if it doesn't work out, we very easily won't be here because they are showing you right now how cutthroat they will be and how fast they'll get rid of somebody and replace them. So I just remember us bonding through that. So I never was part of any drama. I just remember 
Uh, I've always been one to advocate Mm -hmm. for myself and I can, and I, you know, it's a strength of mine to be professionally confrontational. So if I don't like something or if I don't think something's right, I tend to speak up. And so I I don't remember what it was about. Maybe it was our, our pay or food or the way they were taking care of us. But I remember something I didn't think was right whether we didn't get enough rest or they weren't giving us enough food. And I wanted to say something. And I remember Mike and a couple other people being like, Tangie, don't, don't say anything, you know, because <laughs> they didn't want me making the group look like a yeah. bunch of complainers. Yeah. Right. And so I just remember that was like the only thing I remember feeling like, You're like really? you know, I wanted to, you know, respect that and understand, but I also was kind of like, don't be a chump. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Cause I remember after there was a couple parties that when you guys had your rap parties and I went to one of them and it just so happened I was standing at the bar waiting for a drink and the producer standing next to Gina and you know how you can overhear people talk. And I remember listening to the producer going, I'm going to make you the biggest star you've ever been. And I just kind of like heard it out of the left-hand side of my ear. And I was like, holy shit, this is how it works. This is how Hollywood works, (laughs) you know? And then the next thing I thought, I didn't think anything of it. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm like, she's in movies and she's doing this. And I was like, oh my God, that's insane. You know, I was like, why didn't I pick up MMA? (laughs) (laughs) If I'd have known that's where my career was going to go, it would have been awesome. So after the show, tell me a little bit about, okay, so you tore your ACL. Okay, so you didn't get to finish the second season or you didn't get into the second season. What did you do after Gladiators? Where did you go? Tell me about your life. So that was a really, that was probably one of the hardest seasons of my life because up until that point, you know, I, I did the military thing. Then I became a pro and 10 years into that, you know, I'm climbing the ranks, but then gladiator happens and it's this new shiny toy. It's something that I've totally never been exposed to. And there was so much promise. Like, remember, we thought that there was going to be season after season. We thought we were about to go on tour. Like I was prepared for my life to change. It was like, well, I was an IFBB pro, but now I'm going to be on a tour bus going city to city doing this, beating people up on the weekends. And like, it's going to be great. That's right. I do remember that now that you mention it, that they did say that you guys were going to go on tour. Right, right. I totally forgot about that. Yes. Okay. So I, what I experienced is what I think a lot of athletes experience when they have this big dream and they, they make it to the NBA or the NFL, and then they freaking get hurt like Mm -hmm. in their first season. You know what I mean? Like that, that's what I felt like I lived out, you know, it was so exciting. I got hurt. And then honestly, because people don't understand how the flow of the filming works, you know, I was injured with a torn ACL for a lot of the first season. So luckily I had a few episodes that I was able to film before I got hurt, but the rest of it, you know, you might still see me in episode eight, but that's only because we filmed it on day two. Right. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I just remember being a standard buyer and then even the stress of, I was so in a hurry to recover from my ACE. Mm. So ambitious. Like the doctor would say, oh, it's probably going to be a year before you can tumble or, you know, nine months before you can run. And I'm like, I'm going to be running in six months. I'm going to be doing flips in nine months, you know? And so when I didn't make it back to season two, and then the show didn't even last after that, there was this buildup of, oh, I thought my life was going to go in this direction. Now it's not. 
So now, now what? I remember moving <laughs> from Seattle to San Francisco, moving in with my sister because she was like, you can live with me. You don't have to pay me rent. Just figure it out because I needed like six months to just like figure out what the heck am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Because I had put so much of my eggs in this basket that didn't work out. Right. And so that that was probably a time of depression, self-discovery, really trying to reestablish what my identity and my purpose was going to be. What, what I ended up doing is coming back to Washington, continuing my career as an IFBB pro. But that's really when I launched a lot of my entrepreneur businesses within the fitness industry. So this is when I launched a team. I started coaching the largest women's team in the state of Washington. This is when I started promoting shows. This is when I started judging. And then I just got my fire back. I lost my fire for competing a little bit because going to the Olympia just didn't seem like a big deal compared to being on NBC on Monday. Right, right, exactly. A little while to get that fire back. Like, okay, I'm not on NBC anymore, but I am competing on the biggest stage in the world Mm -hmm. in this sport called fitness and let's see what I can do with it. And so then I ended up having a, you know, extending that career for 10 more years. And then I retired in 2016 after 18 years of competing. Dude. Oh my God. That is like (laughs) amazing. So everything happens for a reason. You know what I mean? It's like you going through that, that, that little, you know, I call it like a little valley, you know, the hills and valleys we go through and you go through a little valley. And you're right. I think every single person, no matter if you're on television for five minutes, 15, an hour, a season, you go through that little depression at the end. I mean, I went, I went through it for an entire, I mean, it felt like a year, you know, Mm -hmm. after the show ended, I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? I have like no clue. And you know, like you said, you kind of go through the, the, who am I? What am I doing? What do I want to do now? And I mean, most likely, let's say that you went on tour, your life would have been completely different. You might not mm-hmm. have started the businesses, who knows, but it's right. like what you've done is so amazing. And I've seen some of your Instagram posts and you're, you're speaking with women and you're empowering and it's just the coolest thing in the world to watch because we need so much of that in the world today. You know, young girls, I, I don't even say, I don't even want to say young girls, Tangie, I'm talking right. like women my age we still need all that encouragement you know right and especially nowadays so i i am just so proud of you and what you've done and now you're promoting you have your own show and (laughs) this is your second your second year for your own show right because you had the first one in 22 so Um, actually i co-promoted with another promoter starting in like 2007 and then i got my own in 2015 so this will be my eighth year oh my My god okay Ah! that's so amazing thank you i mean it's gotta be i want to say something based on what you were just saying about identity so Based on those experiences, like what it was like for me when I wasn't a gladiator anymore, what was it like for me in 2016 when I retired from competing and I wasn't an IFBB pro, I actually, you know, anytime you know exactly where you're going after that, usually your transition is okay. But I thought I was going to go straight into being a mom. I got married to my husband, Brandon, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, went through a couple of years of infertility through IVF. And here I am now. And you know, we haven't had any kids in addition to the kids that he has. I spent another several years being depressed because I thought I was going to become a mom and that didn't happen. And so what I've learned through my multiple periods and seasons of transition 
is that the only way to survive is to build a foundation for your identity that's rooted in who you are and your strengths and not your job and not your role. So I have now accepted that my role and my work and what I do for a living is probably going to constantly change maybe every decade or so. But what I've learned is who I am at my core. For example, one of my strengths is leadership. Another strength of mine is appreciation of beauty and excellence. So that's why I'm a very good event planner. That's why I'm all about the detail. There's certain things about me that are really unique that are my strengths. And if you notice everything I've ever done, the creativity and fitness, the leadership and coaching women, the, the attention to detail and, and developing excellence and putting on great events and experiences. My role keeps changing, but actually who I am hasn't changed. I'm still the same Tangi. And so now I think that I can be more prepared if I was to lose something again, I'll be okay because I won't lose myself. Right. I'm just losing that job. But most of us don't even realize that when we're going through that first transition where we lose something. It's it's what you just said is just so empowering. And if so many women and so many just people in general can just hold on to that, and you're absolutely right, who you are at your core, that it, your identity is just the biggest part of it. Because you're right, seasons come and go, jobs That's will right. come and go, you know, and you're going to reinvent yourself. And reinventing yourself doesn't mean reinventing like you just said. It doesn't mean reinventing who you are at the core. It just means maybe outside here. Mm -hmm. And you're just the most amazing, beautiful, strong, empowering woman. And I just, I commend you. And, and what you're doing is just amazing. And thank you so much. It is oh, so thanks, cool. Lori. It is so cool. Thank I am you. so happy that you came on my podcast today because it's there's so many people out there and and that are gladiator fans but yet just I mean you're you're a woman of empowering and that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring you on here as well. We just need that in our generation right now. We just need it out there. You know, we need well, those I appreciate encouraging the opportunity words. because one of the pains that I always had is that my time with gladiators, I felt was so short lived because I got injured, right? And so I hold on to the few shows, the few experiences that one year, and I just appreciate it and I celebrate it. But I did struggle with the insecurity of I, I just didn't get to have that longer experience that a lot of my teammates had, you know, like I went on tour with Armed Forces Entertainment last year with Beth and with I saw Alex. that. I yeah, saw that, that was so fun because for years I used to like, I was really hurt that I never got asked to be on, to go on these USO tours. I mean, I'm former military. I, yes. Of course I would want to go and support the troops. But then when I look back, it's like, but you know what, Tangi, you weren't one of the stars. You, you got injured and you weren't in as many episodes and you didn't get to develop your character the way Venom did and the way, you know, Militia did and, and Michael Hearn and Titan and all that. And so I had to understand that. But even when I went on tour with them, you know, I remember feeling like, man, I feel like, you know, compared to how much experience they got mm -hmm. through the show, mine was like a snippet. And so it means a lot to me to be able to come on your podcast, even talk about it, because that's something that a lot of people deal with, whether it's in sports or school oh, yeah. or as a musician, you know, you get into something that you love and your time is short. And what do you do with that? How do you celebrate that instead of looking back with regret? But here's the thing about that, and I'm going to tell you a little secret. It's interesting that you say that, you know, maybe your time was cut short, but us 
original Gladiators, when we see the 2008 reboot Gladiators going on all these U.S. tours, do you realize we sit back and go, wait a minute, how come we're not being asked? You know, That's right. but here's the thing in Hollywood, out of sight, out of mind. It's yes, relevance. So, it's if you're not in that five minute, 10 minute segment and you're not relevant right now, nobody wants you, you know? And so I had to come to grips with me, my ego, who I am and go, okay, I had my time in the limelight. You know, I do, and I had the struggle. I, I was right there with you. I had the struggle with who I am and I had to fi figure that out and keep reinventing what I wanted to do. But when we saw that, we were just like, wait a minute. <laughs> you guys know? are the original. Right, exactly. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And that's, you just kind of do that. But your time that you had and you got to go on the tour and everything, that's amazing. You know, we actually, our documentary is coming out on the 28th of next month. So we have a Netflix documentary coming out <laughs> June 28th. We got a five-part oh series, which is very exciting. But then again, our team got split, Tangi. Half, oh. the, half the team went to ESPN. And so mm. they're doing ESPN the, the, the coming up like next week. And then the other half went to Netflix. And so it's kind of sad how that happened, you know, okay. how the team, but it's politics and mm. that's Hollywood. And that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Right. But now right. this, I'm going to actually get this podcast out next week. So your classic is, is it June 24th? It's June 24th. I have to ask you, you have a wellness division. What is wellness? What <laughs> I'm is glad that? <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and you know what? I want to say this too, Lori, because like for me, if I was involved in the leadership of the, the second coming of the show, for me, I would have involved the original cast as much as possible. Yes, it was cool that they brought you, you in us and that they had Nitro, you know, train us. I thought that was really cool, but there just would have been like all those times we went to red carpet events and did all those parties. I would have had the original gladiators there with the new ones. There just would have been a lot more intermingling, but again, Hollywood may not care about relevance where I'm more of an old soul, where I really, you know, have an appreciation for the pioneers and for history. And even to this day with bodybuilding, I'm trying to teach that to the younger generation. So when I do Thank seminars you. and even on my, on my Instagram page for my show, I will educate people on the evolution of bodybuilding. Yeah. It started in 1946 when there were only one to one or two divisions. And now we have like eight. So let me tell you what wellness is. Hold so, on to that thought for a second. Okay. My very first like person that I ever watched that made me want to get into bodybuilding. This is going to really age me. Rachel McClish. Oh, exactly. Okay? It went Rachel and then it went Corey. And yeah. then, I mean, and then I actually got a call nine time Linda Murray. Yeah, I was about to say, Linda you should Mur have Linda on here. Well, I will. Linda had me on her Wings of Strength and Perfect. they have that. So Ray and I, Zap and I went and did an interview. So I want Linda on my podcast. But it's like <laughs> just the evolution of all these people, you know, That's and thank right. you for saying that about the original Gladiators. We were all wondering the same thing. We we're like, why don't they have us like just a, like a little debut of a coach here, a little debut here? Because that's the nostalgia that people want to see. And it would have just made such a little difference. You know what I'm saying in the show? But exactly. NBC wanted nothing to do with us whatsoever. They were like, this is our show. This is all new. I don't think it had anything to do with Johnny. 
you know, because Johnny's pride and joy was his brand, American Gladiators. But we, right. were, we were all sitting back wondering the same thing, going, wow, you know, all these reboots they do, they always bring back an original just for like a little moment, you know, but they- Well, I, I think they are missing out on They totally missed it. Because why do you think people like to watch documentaries? Why do they like to learn about- Nostalgia. Nostalgia. It, they exactly. Love that. They love it. Exactly. You know? And even for me, like, for example, one of the things that made my Olympia experience special. So speaking of Linda Murray, she's one of my favorite people. Awesome. Every time I would go to the Olympia, I would run into her at the expo in the bathroom, you know, backstage everywhere. And we developed a friendship. And, and I just remember just being so grateful that I had an opportunity to be mentored by her, mm -hmm. to have a conversation with her, to be in her presence and just share in her kindness, her glory, her history. And that made my experience special. I didn't just go to the show and compete, but it's what I got to experience, who I got to talk to, who I learned from, mm -hmm. what I experienced. And you can't do that without history. And so when we neglect to promote our history, I feel like we're robbing our new generation of that piece of the pie that could really rich in their experience. 100%. So what is wellness? <laughs> okay. So wellness is our newest women's division. Okay. With women's division, you can either do bodybuilding, which is the very muscular, symmetrical, everything needs to be proportionate. Then there's women's physique, which is the new version of bodybuilding. We don't do closed fists. It's open hand, barefoot, but it's basically meant to be a not as big and as muscular version of women's bodybuilding, basically a more mainstream version. Then there's fitness, which is all the girls that do the gymnastics, handstands, pushups, all the badass fitness stuff. And then there's figure, which is the same body as fitness, except just the muscles with the X frame symmetry. And then there's bikini, which is a lot more slender, but the best glutes you'll ever see in your life, you know, are coming on these <laughs> bikini bodies. Now here's what would happen. A lot of women, not a lot specifically, especially in Latin America, like our Brazilian women, Latina women, naturally and genetically, there are women that are built where they just carry more muscle and weight on the bottom half. And so when these women, these Latinas and Brazilian women were trying to do bikini, they were killing themselves trying to bring their legs down to match their upper body mm. so that they would stop being told your butt's too big, your quads are too big, your legs are too big, you're just too muscular. So wellness is the one and only division that does that is not proportionate. In fact, wellness is a bikini upper body with a figure lower body. Okay. And I even like to say, when you see the girl in the gym who's slender up top, but she's got, she, you call her quadzilla or you're just <laughs> like, whoa, you got butt, thighs, legs for days, but I'm not talking fat. I'm talking like, whoa, yeah. so much muscle. Yeah. That's what wellness is. And it is taking off. Now, the thing is, is not every woman's genetics support that body type, yeah. but for the women who does, it is amazing. It is amazing. So have you found that some women try to cheat and go buy that little butt? <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm probably more naive because my husband tells me all the time, he's just like, she's got butt implants. And I'm like, really? You know, because I'm, 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 I've been privy to seeing and knowing so many women who have amazing physiques that they've actually had 
it's harder sometimes for me to, to actually just immediately think that it's not the case, but yes, that definitely exists. Yeah. I mean, there's some I've seen that I'm like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Like that doesn't exactly, even look right. Exactly. It's like, you spent money on that? <laughs> I think I'm the only white girl in the gym that has a booty. <laughs> Genetically, my mom has one. Oh my God, it's so funny. Tangie, thank you so much for coming on. I know I have a short time with you today, but I could sit and talk with you for hours, you know, and thank you. I so appreciate it. And I mean, I wish that I could get up to Washington and watch your show. I mean, it's Aww. it just sounds amazing, you know. Well, you know what? I will have a live feed, so or, or what do you call it? A live stream. So oh, beautiful. it's June 24th, and it's tjclassic.com, or if you're on Instagram. NPC, which stands for National Physique Committee, NPC TJ, which is standing for Tangie Johnson Classic. So you can check out more information, but we will live stream it. If you're in Washington, come see it in person, but it is going to be a great inspiration for all the divisions for anybody wanting to get in shape or anybody that just loves the bodybuilding industry. Oh my God. It's going to be an amazing show. I'm so happy for you. You, Thank you have done so much and I know you're not done. You've probably got <laughs> an entire bucket list that you want to do in your life. And I just find it amazing. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And by the way, where can they, besides your show, where can they find you? Tell everyone. Oh, so they can find me on Instagram mainly at official Tangie Johnson, official Tangie Johnson. That's it. T-A-N-J-I. No G. J.I. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. All Thank right. you, everybody. Thanks Thank for watching. Thank you, everybody. And I need to give a quick shout out to one of my Patreons today. And that is to Martin Nelson. Thank you so much for being the OG gladiator on my Patreon account. And um, if anybody, you don't know where that's at, that's patreon.com slash chillin with ice. And thank you so much for watching and listening. And until next time, see you later. Thank you so much for listening to Chillin' with Ice. And don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, and share wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us on Patreon and YouTube at Chillin' with Ice. And on Instagram and TikTok, you can follow me at lori.ice.fetric. I look forward to chilling with you next time here on Chillin' with Ice. <laughs>